This is part two of a six-part series. If you missed episode one, go back and listen to it. It'll give you a good sense of who these people are and what they're up against. In today's episode, we're going to look at 2015 and what happened that year to change these people's lives and their industry forever. Previously on Drilled. So what's happening now lately, three out of the last four years, we're asking these guys to sit around and either make no money or make hardly any money doing part-time jobs. But they have to be on call because we never know when the season is going to start. So it's really hard for them to work during these closures. And our boats are sitting idle for three, four, five months at a time now. left off, it was 2015, and a giant patch of warm water had just appeared off the Pacific coast. It was huge and weird, and scientists and locals were calling it, quite ominously, the blob. From then on, there's no stopping the blob as it spreads from town to town. Maybe not quite as melodramatic as the 1958 movie by the same name, but pretty scary all the same. Scientists, including several who actually worked for big oil, had been predicting since the 1960s that warming oceans could shift the marine food web, redistributing fish and plankton in ways that would cause various fisheries to wither and eventually crash. In 1968, the American Petroleum Institute commissioned a study on the impacts of climate change from Stanford University. In it, scientists warned that, quote, changes in ocean temperature would change the distribution of fish. This is the story of two industries, one fighting for its survival, the other the most powerful in human history. The outcome of their battle could very well determine how and whether we act on climate change. I'm Amy Westerbelt. This is Drilled Season 2, Hot Water. Hi, it's Amy here, and I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast from APM Studios and Western Sounds called Ripple. Such a good idea, this show. In the aftermath of major disasters, there is always a swarm of media attention. The public is captivated by breaking news, there's coverage and controversy, and then the cameras and the public just move on. But the stories are not finished. Ripple is a new series investigating the stories we were told were over. In season one, the reporting team traveled hundreds of miles across the Gulf Coast to learn the ongoing effects of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which are still impacting many coastal residents more than a decade later. You can listen now to Ripple wherever you get your podcasts. Early in scientists' understanding of climate change, there was an assumption that oceans could act as large carbon sinks, as though it would be a good thing if the oceans just absorbed the bulk of human CO2 emissions. It turns out they do, and it's not a good thing. 
at all. Over 90% of the warming generated by greenhouse gases is absorbed by the oceans. That's why we're seeing the impacts of climate change there first. Here's Stanford scientist Ken Caldera to explain. Department of Energy said, oh, well, we're not going to do any more oceans research. The only thing we're going to look at with regard to oceans is really the possibility of ocean carbon sequestration, of storing carbon in the ocean. So we submitted a paper to Nature magazine, which is a leading science magazine. We pointed out for the first time that what we would expect would happen under business-as-usual scenarios over the next decades was, you know, largely geologically unprecedented except perhaps in times of major mass extinctions. But sort of in the ordinary stretches of geologic time, there's been no time when the ocean has changed so much so rapidly. The blob created a spike in algae that led to an increase in a dangerous neurotoxin, domoic acid, in crab. The toxic outbreak delayed the start of the 2015 crab season. It was the first time something like that had happened, and crabbers like Ben Platt were on edge. Summer before that, I decided not to salmon troll, and I had spent the whole summer basically trying to make this a better crab boat, and also for summertime fisheries, I gutted the fish hold. I did a bunch of major woodwork on the boat. I spent the whole summer doing that and a bunch of money. And then right after that, we had the Demoke acid closure. You know, we do our gear work in the fall. So I had a crew that was a new crew that year. Not everyone had taken the summer off like Ben to work on their boats, but it is typical for there to be a month or so of gear prep before the season starts. And that work is usually unpaid for deckhands. They're compensated later with a percentage of the haul whenever they're out fishing. Deckhands in California make between $40,000 and $70,000 a year, depending on whether the season is good or not. Captains can make around $200,000 a year, more in a really great year. They all save up for lulls between seasons, or months off to deal with boat repairs. But they also all work independently. There is no health insurance, no sick days, no paid time off. The years leading up to that 2015 season had been especially great for these fishermen. Plenty of crab, good prices. The old timers knew not to trust it, but the younger guys, not so much. Just taking a little break here to tell you about a show that I have in regular rotation. Latina to Latina profiles a different woman each week, touching on everything from their personal histories to their professional triumphs. You might recognize host and ace interviewer Alicia Menendez from PBS's Amanpour and Company. She does a great job on this show, too. Listeners of Drilled should particularly check out the recent interview with climate scientist turned environmental justice advocate Nicole Hernandez. She's really fascinating on everything from how her background has informed her work and how the Latino community in particular understands and is responding to climate change. Hernandez has been instrumental in getting people to understand what happens during quote-unquote sunny day floods in Miami, and she's just really, really interesting to listen to. So check that out. The rest of the episodes are great, too. You can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Radio Public, really wherever you get your podcasts, and it's great. Check it out. 
I also want to recommend a website that does a great job of keeping track of all the various climate lawsuits happening right now. Climate Liability News sent me to the courtroom climate science tutorial where I first got the idea to do drilled. Their reporters are really on top of this stuff in a way that no one else is. So it's a great one-stop shop if you want to know what's happening with these cases. Okay, back to the show. A couple years before that fateful 2015 season, permitting for the fishery had changed and a new lower cost permit had been introduced. It enabled younger fishermen to strike out on their own. And after two good seasons in a row, several had just decided to do exactly that. You know, you could get a low tier permit and a smaller boat, maybe not for a ton of money and start fishing. It's a really good thing in some ways. We've been complaining about the graying of the fleet for a long time, so I was really encouraged. There was a lot of younger guys getting into it, but a lot of people weren't as able or willing to go through that rough patch. They had cut their teeth for a few years when it was pretty easy. You could fish out of Half Moon Bay or even Santa Cruz or Moss Landing and you could make a living and... If you were a deckhand, you could think about buying your own boat. If you were had just bought a small boat and a small permit, you were doing pretty well. And, you know, then all of a sudden, those of us that had been in the fishery for a lot longer, it was just reality kicking in. And we were even telling them, hey, this doesn't ever last forever, so, you know, save your money. Um, but it's hard even for us to do that. We get overextended, too. I've done it myself over and over again in my career, you know. When we met for dinner in Morro Bay, Lori French also talked about what happened to the younger guys that season. Lori's family, like Ben, has been fishing these waters for decades. They put all their money into going out on their own, which is, that's what you do. You know, so they had no reserves. When the season delay was first announced, fishermen were concerned, but they figured it would just be a week or maybe two they'd still be able to make the San Francisco Thanksgiving market when fishermen typically sell thousands of crab. And they'd get holiday sales to make up for lost time, too. But the blob remained, and it spread. By December 2014, it reached all the way from Alaska to Mexico. And it was killing marine mammals in record numbers. Dead whales were washing up on shore. Seals were starving. And scientists were alarmed. The combination of warming oceans, melting Arctic ice, and shifting wind patterns had disrupted the ocean's upwelling. That's a natural mixing process that brings cold water and nutrients up from the ocean's depths and pushes warm water from the surface down below. Without it, algae was blooming like crazy, and fish and marine mammals were running out of food. All that algae meant domoic acid was persisting, too, and the crab fishery, already vulnerable to nature's whims, was getting its first taste of the volatility that climate change will bring. It was pretty depressing. We for Christmas, it kind of it's like, you know what, this is getting serious. You know, we were thinking, oh, we'll be open by December 1st. Deckands, who really only get paid when they're out fishing, were hit particularly hard. So then my crew had to go get part-time jobs or whatever, and, you know, those kind of jobs never pay like uh, crabbing does if it's a good year. Lori's son, Lauren, who had started fishing just a few years before, had to move home with his parents because he couldn't afford not to. She was hearing story after story of people losing everything, cars, homes, boats. So she did what every American does these days when people they love are in dire financial straits. She started a GoFundMe. 
And she raised nearly $17,000 and divvied it up into $100 grocery gift cards that she sent out to anyone who got in touch. Almost immediately, there was a wait list. Food banks opened up in most coastal towns. The old guys, you know, we've, we've been around, and if you're a commercial fisherman, you know bad times are always coming. So you save your money and you're really careful. That's Larry Collins. People call him Duck. Duck started the Fisherman's Co-op in San Francisco several years ago and runs the dock there. A younger man captains his boat for him now, but Duck and his wife fished it for decades. He's a big guy in his 60s. He speaks his mind about most things. Says he's been working since he was five years old. One of the many terrible impacts of that season was that it dashed the crabber's hopes of reinvigorating an aging fleet. I think we lost a contingent out of the fleet of young guys, which we really need to come along. As the closure wore on, it was clear that this wasn't going to be a momentary or fleeting loss. It was just awful. I mean, we couldn't pay the bills. It was just a nightmare. We almost lost everything because we couldn't pay anything. I mean, we took a pretty hard hit, and that's money that we'll never make up again. Guys with families, the deckhands had no backup. It's kind of an example of the worst case scenario that you could ask for. But also, they realized it would be silly to try to rush the opening. We didn't want to make anybody sick, because if a tainted product does get out there, I mean, that ruins our market forever. You know, you lose all customer base. We're not stupid that way. Finally, on March 26th, long after Thanksgiving and Christmas, and more than four months after the usual start date, the season opened. Missed all of our markets, all the holiday markets. I mean, that's what we make our money on. Nobody wants to buy crabs at tax day. And then by then, there was only, the production wasn't very good. If you wait into the year, then the crabs crawl away. They don't bite as good as they do in November. So it was just bad. Still, crabbers were happy that the closure was over, and they figured 2015 was just a one-off. But their troubles were just beginning. Next time on Drilled, the crabbers find themselves embroiled in two lawsuits at once. But with warm water and no krill and high concentrations of crab gear, it was the perfect storm. Fossil fuel companies knew about the warming of the climate. They knew the effect it would have on the ocean. And they had all this information a long time ago, and they didn't share it with the public because it would have affected their bottom line. It goes against my little Pollyanna work. It's like, you're doing something that you know could cause harm, but you're still putting it for the money. That's not how the game is played. We'll be back with another episode in this series next week, but if you can't wait until then, or you just want to support independent climate reporting, consider becoming a Drilled member. Just go to drilled.supportingcast.fm to sign up. That's drilled.supportingcast.fm, F like Frank, M like Mary, to sign up. Thanks for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Drilled is produced and distributed by Critical Frequency. The show was created and reported by me, Amy Westervelt. Rekha Murthy is our editorial advisor. And additional editing for this series was done by Julia Ritchie. The series was mixed by Bill Lance. 
Our season two theme song was composed by Elliot Peltzman. Additional music was contributed by B. Beeman and David Whited. Season two cover art was drawn by Angela Shea. Drilled is supported in part by a generous grant from the Institute for Governance and Sustainable Development. You can listen and subscribe to Drilled on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, don't forget to give us a five-star rating. It helps us find more listeners and combat pesky climate deniers. Visit our website, drilledpodcast.com, for behind-the-scenes photos and additional information about this series. You can also drop us a tip or story idea there and sign up for our newsletter. Or you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Amy Westervelt. Thanks for listening.